Uncle Boon Me Total Recalls His Past Lives. In honor of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny, what foreign language film deserves a sequel? I'm Matt Patches, and I am going to go with Jean-Pierre Genou's City of Lost Children. I love that world, and I do wonder if Ron Perlman remembers all his French. Hey, it's me, David the Seven. I'd be interested in what a modern-day sequel to the Battle of Algiers would be like, or if people would just be horrified. I feel like uh, life is giving you plenty of opportunities to imagine <laughs> what that sequel might be. Just have to pick up a camera and go. Uh, Seems easy to make. Yeah, I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to cheat and go with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but not the shitty CG bullshit straight-to-Netflix sequel. A real one, directed by Ang Lee, co-scripted by James Seamus, starring the original cast, not just Michelle Yeoh. Should have happened. Have you seen the new one? No. But it looks Straight like crap. to Netflix. And the reviews have been dreadful. What a brave new world. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's it's a podcast. Podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 108 for Tuesday, February 23rd, 2016. On this day in 1940, however, Walt Disney's Pinocchio was released and in my opinion is still probably the most beautifully animated Disney film. It's, it's been a terrifying. Scary yeah. movie. And then like the multiplanar push-in shot, the underwater stuff, all still beautiful. Anyway... Uh, but we have a review, as we usually read reviews this part of the episode. David? We do. Dr. Hip Hop <laughs> says, good, but not great. Three stars. Generally, I like this podcast when they discuss artsy and hardcore cinema. They have a vocabulary of the film world that is engaging and fascinating. It is when they touch on genre fare that it almost feels like a nasty edge comes through. I can respect Uh-oh. differing opinions, but some of it comes off as snobbery. Either way, I like this podcast. It's not my favorite place to hear discussions on pop culture. That top spot is Pop Culture Happy Hour, but they're cool. <laughs> Fair enough. We also, from Commodore Schmidlap, have an update yeah. to a previous oh. review. Update. I regret that I've perhaps given out the wrong impression and am now updating my error. I didn't listen to an entire episode of Trucker Tom's podcast. I listened to the first few minutes. I couldn't take any more. I may be a glutton for punishment, but I'm not a masochist. Schmidlap out. <laughs> so if you go to last week or maybe it was the like week before his episode. You no, were, last uh, week. Last week. <laughs> get this the just full goes story. to you. We'll, we'll, we will read anything <laughs> that you write on iTunes and leave it a review. So. And we really have it in for Trucker Town now. So I, I thought we liked genre movies. That review was totally backwards. No, I think... Everyone's review- usually shitting on us for, like... Going too hard on the arty no, stuff. No, I think and that now... he was using genre as a synonym for talking about superhero movies and snobbery as a synonym for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Fair. what I got from it is he likes to be educated and he likes to agree with us. So if you like both of those things, maybe there's something in this episode for you. And if there is, leave us an iTunes review and we'll beat Trucker Tom yet.
this week in new releases. That sounded really hacky. Anyway, there's a new movie coming out this week. (laughs) Uh, There's a new movie this week called uh, Gods of Egypt coming out from a guy named Alex Proya, um, who every time I think about this guy, I think good director, right? He directed The Crow. uh, He directed Dark City. He directed iRobot, knowing Nicolas Cage movie, uh, has tried to make several Wait, so movies why over the years. He's a good director? <laughs> right, no, that's the thing. Sorry. I don't like The Crow very much. I love Dark City, and iRobot might be the most debatable movie. I seem to uh, recall enjoying it when I saw it in theaters, but it is, I've seen it many times on cable since, and it's kind of, it's the perfect cable movie, right? Like, very little happens. Will Smith has a few one liners, the special effects are fine. Um, and knowing is another up for debate, kind of strange, just a strange Nicolas Cage movie with <laughs> too much money at its uh, disposal. Now you have Gods of Egypt, which just looks wackadoo. I don't know if any of us have seen it. But yeah, my question to you guys was Alex Proyas, good director? <laughs> this feels like a Jeopardy category. Like there could be a lot of offshoots that you could ask about those questions. I was trying to look at this and trying to figure out also like you, which one of these movies I would actually say are good movies. And I'm going to fall on the positive on iRobot because I'll, I'll go, you know, good cable movie goes a long way with me, especially with something that's, you know, adapted from a short science fiction story. Uh, I'm, I'm into it. Uh, but And Dark City, yes, was very important to me as a, like, goth uh, teenager. But not the crow. Maybe also because of that goth teenager thing. Like by my time, I, like there was already crow backlash because it was just the crow got way too mythologized. As a matter of fact, I was watching a Law and Order SVU from the first season on Hulu to try to fall asleep the other day, and there was this girl who was obsessed with Brandon from the crow. And wanted to live her life like Brandon and die tragically. And I was like, I don't, I remember it being such a big thing that I think I might have been turned off from The Crow. Brandon Lee, you should yes. specify. Sorry, who died during the production sorry. of The Crow. Yes. Um, the Crow is a fascinating movie because, yeah, it definitely has a cult appeal. They've been trying to remake The Crow forever, and it just seemed to tap into a certain subculture that uh, I recently rewatched The Crow maybe a year ago. I guess that's not too recent, but in the grand spectrum of things, it is. Um, horrible movie. I really, I remember seeing it when I was younger, thinking, yeah, that this was just a, a, a section, a subculture that I was not familiar with, and I found it really intriguing. This I, I, is it, Would you really call it goth? Uh, I think that's the people who goth. adopted it. It was also weird because when I was in college, I interned with Ed Pressman, who controls controls the Crow property. So, like, as a reader, part of my job was reading Prospective Crow sequels. And it was really weird to see what, uh, like, originally the mythology is about, like, this, you know, crow that takes people to the afterlife and you'll bring people back for revenge if they, like, died tragically. But it starts taking on, like, becoming more about, like, the makeup and style, like, as the series goes on, because it's trying to, like, react to the fans. So I don't know if the original film had really anything outside of like this grand mythology and sort of a cool look to it. I mean, the films have gone farther, further on less. Well, I think Alex Proyas, you know, he came from uh, directing music videos and the crow might be one of the first comic book movies. We so often associate comic book movies with kind of 
music video direction, um, mm-hmm. even though the ones that we currently have and everything after X-Men basically doesn't really fall into that category. I just think there's uh, all the 90s we associate with music video directors and the, and the crow is one of the only superhero movies to really come out of that. Um, but it also, it just feels like a nine inch nails video or it feels like that early nineties grunge. Um, but to, to such, uh, unpleasant degree, it is, you know, I think of Deadpool now. It's kind of like the even angstier, uh, darker, gritty for grit's sake, Deadpool. Uh, Alex, not funny. Alex Proyas makes me wonder what it really means to be a good director. I wonder if how you navigate the system and find a uh, a tenable situation where you can sort of get the most out of your creative energy, but also get these movies made, is uh, something that can be sort of inextric- can be extricated from your talent as a director if it's part and parcel of the package, because. Uh, I don't have any intimate knowledge about whatever frustrations or ups and downs of Alex Proyas' career he's had um, finding the right projects for him, but I look at the I look at some of the, these films and how they're put together, and I see a guy who's capable of telling a good story, has some interesting instincts, uh, but has never made a good movie. And <laughs> you don't I, like Dark City, though, because no, for me, Dark City is is the next step in evolution of the Crow, which as yeah, Dave it mentioned, is. it's uh, really all style. And at least Dark City, Roger Ebert flipped a shit for yeah, really Dark City. He did the commentary. I think I know. I've read. I his review cost me hours of my life. Uh, <laughs> I'm still a bit resentful of his enthusiasm for Dark City, but you know, good for him. He enjoyed it. He enjoyed it enough to contribute to the commentary track. Um, then that's really all you can ask for. We all have the movies that we flip for. However, uh, no, I mean, I, you know, Gods of Egypt, I hear, is re- repulsive. It, of course, has those racial issues which predated it. It looks awesome. I'm just going to throw it out there. It I'm very better. excited for the it exuberance. Looks better than you know, I know that you know that it is. Um, and we've heard from people for a while now that it's really just a terrible set. Uh, knowing will always have a special place in my heart because it's a movie about the world ending on my birthday. Uh, and it makes a point of that many, many times, um, but it's god awful. There's another movie that Ebert gave four stars, by the way. Well, uh, I I like knowing because again, it's it's outlandish. It's taking kind of an idea that seems familiar and just blowing it to smithereens through Nick Cage performance, but through the the idea of the angels and the iconography of of religion and and tapping into that and making it into science fiction if any they were the least bit suspenseful or interesting maybe but it's uh i I definitely admired it's go for broke what the fuckness which was really only scratching the tip of the iceberg as far as nick cage was concerned but uh uh not at that budget i mean it was it was an interesting thing to see and my jaw was sort of on the floor you know based on where it ended uh but is a good movie no i mean i think alex proyas I look at him and I see unrealized potential. Um, I don't see him ever getting out of this hole that he is in. And may, you know, for all I know, as much as my instinct tells me that he's been struggling um, to really <laughs> find the right fit for him, for all I know, he could be immensely happy with the career that he's carved for himself um, and have made all these movies exactly as he envisioned them. Um, I don't know. But... Uh, as far as I'm concerned, he is more of a red flag on a movie, and it only comes I'm, up now like once every seven years, so it's not much of an issue. But I know. Uh, <laughs> well, it's it's know. it's kind of depressing. I mean, I think back to a conversation that we once had about Ridley Scott. We were debating if Ridley Scott was just a great production designer who happened to 
direct movies. Uh, and I think we were pitting him against Tim Burton. You know, are these guys great designers who happen to be directing movies or great directors with an eye for production design? Um, and at least in Tim Burton's case, you kind of let him off the leash and he fully um, immerses. The world is uh, intricate and, you know, elaborate. Uh, I will but say Alex Proyas seems similar. A cursory look at his Wikipedia page reveals that in between Knowing and Gods of Egypt, he tried to make a uh, Paradise Lost movie. Right. Bradley, Bradley Cooper, Cooper, if I recall. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and was ultimately canceled over budgetary concerns related to the effects. I, I, a, a Paradise Lost movie starring Bradley Cooper, directed by Alex Proyas, I think everybody's reputation was probably spared uh, by that being submarined. But Hey, at least he, he has an obsession here. Religion is on the table. Yes. He has an idea, and at least and iRobot. I think that's what gives iRobot. Well, what gives iRobot a little integrity and a little of my interest is Isaac Asimov, and he's at least dedicated to the rules of robotics and all of that. The, <laughs> oh, come on! It doesn't <laughs> suck. How about that scene sucks. where the robots jump out of that car sucks. on sucks. Will Smith? <laughs> sucks. Think about how valuable my Converse are going to be in the future, David. <laughs> I'd rather see Shia LaBeouf stand in an elevator for 24 hours. No. You probably ha- you probably did that for a few hours the other day. Uh, well, okay, let's just end this conversation on Dark City. Go into Dark City. Tell me why you – I'm with Roger Ebert, and maybe we're both world-building junkies. Um, but here is playing with the noir, uh, playing with science fiction imagery. Obviously, it had a huge impact with people – you know, they were stealing the sets just to make the Matrix at some point. Uh, and these are out, you know, kind of theatrical performances by Keith or, Kiefer Sutherland, Jennifer Connelly. Uh, what, what's wrong with what? What do you not dig about Dark City? Good movie. You're asking me this like I've seen Dark City in the last 10 years. <laughs> it's not <laughs> why, just floating around your I? memory like me. <laughs> why would I? I remember certain shots from it very well. But um, and those silly bad guys who remind me of the Hush episode. Yes. Of um, but, uh, yeah, I, that movie is like Teflon. I mean, like it, it just slides right off. Uh, I have no <laughs> strong recollection of it. Uh, and I, I've tried to work my, like, I, I remember seeing it and then reading Ebert's review and getting the sort of, uh, latent excitement about the movie from a number of different people. A lot of the ain't it cool news crowd back when that was the site. Uh, we're really excited about it. And <laughs> I, Tried watching it again, and I remember it just like really sliding right off me and, and making no impact whatsoever, and thinking that it was really hollow, uh, and uh, deciding that I really never wanted to give more of my time over to this film, and I haven't. Hmm. Alex Proyas, uh, I guess not not a director we're writing home about. <laughs> nope. <laughs> 所以我们的祖先都是鱼。大家过来看看这个，它的学名就叫马尔美特，也就是俗语说的美人鱼。For the mini segment this week, we are going to be talking about the strange case of the mermaid. Uh, the mermaid is the new science fiction fantasy romantic comedy from Stephen Chow, uh, which takes the very derivative story of a female mermaid falling in love with a human male and takes it to places that only Stephen Chow would or could. Uh, it has already, since we're already making a big hullabaloo about Monster Hunt being the highest grossing Chinese film of all time, 
uh, in January, it has already supplanted Monster Hunt as the new highest grossing Chinese film of all time. This is going to happen a lot because of the rate at which screens are being erected in China, and also because they're, uh, let's say that the, the way that they police the Chinese box office is very similar to the way they police the truth in like a Republican presidential campaign. Uh, there are a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of funny math and, um, and strange quotas and all sorts of things going on. It's not really worth getting into right now. Uh, but The Mermaid is, if you've seen Kung Fu Hustle or if you've seen Shaolin Soccer, um, this is a film from the same guy. It has that same sort of anarchic comic energy with lots and lots of very sloppy but charming CG that sort of just, it's, it's like, cut rateness just sort of adds to the uh, appeal of the whole thing. Uh, it's shot in 3D. It's shot in some of the crispest, most immaculate 3D I've ever seen. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's so bright. The colors are so bright and vivid that any problem that you would have with uh, the, the dimness that comes in here with 3D is completely eliminated. Um, it's one of the same things that Avatar did so well and very few other films have. Uh, it's a very... It's an occasionally very funny movie. Uh, it is a spirited... Wacko comedy about this mermaid. You know, you know the story already just from what I said about it. It's this time it comes with a very strong environmental bent. Uh, the mermaid, her task at first is to murder the, this businessman who's, uh, released these, like, fish imploding sonar devices into the water. Um, and something about a business scheme. It's all sort of shaggy in the story, but of course she falls in love with him. Uh, to the chagrin of her mer people uh, and her mer uncle, who is an octopus and has a scene where he <laughs> he's like trying to pretend that he's not an octopus from the waist down, and he's cooking them lunch. Uh, so this is a Stephen Chow movie. Yes, and people come in <laughs> and they the, like the thugs think that he's cooking octopus. They think that his legs are what he's serving, and so they like force him to cut off his legs and cook them in front of them. And the faces that he makes as he's amputating his own legs to serve for lunch is, are hilarious. Um, and there's a lot of the humor is also lost in translation. I saw this in Times Square, where uh, it has been released by Sony, I believe, without telling anybody. Um, and still, still, when they tried to bury it for who knows what reason, uh, grossed almost a million dollars last weekend because the Chinese audiences came out in droves for this. And Yeah, it was, was a huge per theater, the theater was average. I was the only really? one of two white people in the theater, and the other one was a critic who was sitting there with his notepad in the back. Uh, and everyone else was, uh, I can't say for sure they were all Chinese, but uh, I'll just stick with the fact that um, I was one of two white people in the theater, and there was a lot of laughter at things that I didn't even recognize as jokes. Not that I didn't recognize, think that they were funny. I just like didn't understand that that's where the joke was. And of course, they are hearing the language at a different time than seeing the subtitles, so the laughs come sort of sporadically. But it's it was similar to seeing a movie in a foreign country where you have to. A lot of things were clearly lost in translation for me, but still, you very you seldom get comedies ported over here for this reason. Uh, and I think Stephen Chow is really important because even if I am not going to get all of the jokes, enough of it works, and it's done with such it's such a vividly directed movie. I mean, we in America here so often feel like, especially with broad comedy, that direction is sort of anathema to what they're trying to do. Uh, that it should all be just sort of like medium two shots and singles and just like cut, shot, reverse shot, the Judd Apatow, Paul Feig style. Right, just roll I'm, camera until right. we get funny lines. This is why you should be very, very worried about everything that's not a joke in Ghostbusters. Um, but 
the so it's it's sort of a delight to see Stephen Chow do this with his antic sense of humor. Um, so is it is it not really an action movie? It's more of a just effects laden comedy. Oh yeah, I mean it's, there there are like a couple action beats, but I I would not classify this as an action movie. Yeah, because I'm I'm very excited to see the mermaid because several people we know have have kind of raved about it and you seem positive on it but Stephen Chow's last film I'm I was a pretty big fan of Kung Fu Hustle and I thought CJ7 his little like ET riff was not good um and then his last movie which kind of came and went from American theaters I guess it's two years ago uh Journey to the West you know this kind of classic Chinese adventure story a complete disaster I was shocked um, especially building off of something so imprinted in the minds of everyone like this is such an easy movie to make for Stephen Chow but oh my gosh just disastrous action scenes totally incoherent and maybe a bit of it is loss of translation but it was just a mess of bloated special effects bad CG and uh, you know, the the Monkey King fighting. It's just so incoherent and so many ideas stuffed into one package. Um, and Mermaid sounds like it's, you know, a little bit of the same thing. There's a lot going on. Um, but it's, uh, I guess it's more positive. I'm encouraged. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, I, I, you know, I think we're going to see more of this. I think this movie is more important for what it represents than the, just watching it. I think um, it's, I, I wrote about this in my Monster Hunt review uh, that America and the, the the distributors here and Sony really dropped the ball here and they're gonna they paid for it by losing out on a lot of money last weekend. Hopefully they'll expand it, maybe even do some gasp advertising this weekend. Uh, we are going to see more cross pollination. We are going to get more foreign audio films that are appealing to uh, the audiences that live here, and we are all going to benefit for it, even if the movies aren't all classics. Uh, and so, good on them. Good on Stephen Chow for doing this at least. I bet I never get to see this movie. Probably not. Well, it might come to I mean, Netflix. Never is a long time. I'm sure it'll be in Netflix. Journey to the know. West, I oh, think, yeah, fair is enough. on Netflix now. Yeah, it's such a... Is the aesthetic very cartoony? I find oh, it yeah, really interesting super... about Monster Hunt and Stephen Child's other movies. Like The, the approach uh, to CG is bubbly and more like their yes, animated films. Very, very, very cartoonish CG. Um yeah, and uh, the color—it's a lot. It's a much glitzier, brighter color scheme than even Monster Hunt, but very endemic of what you see a lot in modern. Asian That's the way Journey to the West game. was too. Mermaid. Go out and see it if you live at a coast. He said bitterly. <laughs> a coat. A coast. Coast. <laughs> about the witch last week which opened last weekend and i'm very happy to say uh was successful by all standards i mean this is a movie that was acquired for 
a million dollars from Sundance in 2014, 2015, sorry, uh, the beginning of 2015. And, um, at the time was slated to open on direct TV and, you know, then maybe just a handful of screens, uh, as, you know, as part of that direct TV portion of A24's deal. Uh, eventually it was sort of upgraded, reevaluated and upgraded to being a theatrical release. And then on Friday, it actually became A24's very first wide opening release. Uh, they've expanded things like Spring Breakers and uh, Ex Machina to a large number of screens in the past, but they've never had a, a wide opening. This opened on somewhere around the ballpark of 1,800 screens. It made a little bit more than $8 million. Uh, it's a big success. Um, however, there has been some scuttlebutt that it is not a horror movie, or uh, there's another, some more scuttlebutt that says, fine, it is a horror movie, but it's not scary, and therefore cannot be good. Uh, of course, all of these things are subjective. I found it very scary. I also found that there are other adjectives I would probably use um, more immediately than I would scary. Uh, I think like what? Movie, Chilling? Horror, no, Spooky? The horror, movies, the horror movies that I respond to, um, you know, it's not unlike a comedy where you see a comedy and you're like, you know, it's funny, but funny is not necessarily equated with good. I think that some of the... Like broadcast news, I'd say is a comedy. Funny is not equated with good. No, I mean, it, it, it certainly can help if that's what the movie's going for. But broadcast news is a comedy, I would say. I laugh significantly less at broadcast news, like laugh out loud, than I did at, uh, I don't know. Na- the Neighbors 2 trailer. The Neighbors 2. No, that's not true. But maybe The Neighbors 1 in its entirety. Uh, <laughs> would I say that broadcast news is a better movie than Neighbors? Yes, uh, by a fair margin. And I fucking love Neighbors. So, um, you know, I, well, you need to start counting mm-hmm-hmm as mm, a laugh. The horror movies that I've responded to uh, over the last few years, in particular, The Babadook, uh, The Witch, going back a few years further than that. Um, the others, I think, like the, some of the Japanese Kyoshi Kurosawa stuff. Uh, that, you know, it's the the they use the language of scary movies. Um, in a certain tone in order to explore other things that they're not just simply being graded on the scale of whatever sort of physiological response they incur and like it's not just about the jump scares and whatnot and so on and and so while I did find the witch very scary I more immediately found it to be good <laughs> um, great even uh, but there's been some talk there was an article that I read on medium that a lot of people were linking to about gatekeepers keeping people away from horror. And while I understood the argument that it was making and sympathized with it, it was saying that uh, people out there espousing the arguments that I just referenced about how, uh, you know, this isn't horror. This, I'm telling you it's not horror because it doesn't check these boxes. And so, therefore, it is cast off, exiled into the woods, uh, and you can't like it. Um, I would be frustrated by seeing that response. Maybe I'm just not reading the right things, or maybe I'm not reading the wrong things, but I had no idea what the fuck they were talking about in terms of the actual people who are making this argument. It felt like a bit of a straw man argument to me, because I had not read any of those responses or those articles. I'd seen sort of anecdotal uh, reports from from like Twitter accounts of people I didn't know, and from friends of mine as well, who said you know, it wasn't scary, but they weren't saying that necessarily as an outright dismissal of the film. Uh, but I... I was very happy that I had not encountered this argument enough or as much as whoever was writing this article in Medium. Um, and then there was, uh, and I, I really hope we can get past this very quickly, a lot of talk about how the movie got a C-minus cinema score. Now, we don't need to waste your time talking about this, but cinema score means absolutely jack shit. 
Uh, ooh, ooh, can we waste uh, a second talking about this? Because I saw it on Friday and was a CinemaScore audience. Really? Really? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, anyway, how does that work? Yes, you can. I'm just going to say before, as I tee you up, that uh, um, a C- is a huge badge of honor. I think it was the same score that Hail Caesar earned. Um, and, uh, you know, these are... Oh, Dave, why don't you, why don't you set it up? Well, it's, so you, it's not yeah. good... Well, okay. It's, so it's based to judge your reaction after having seen a film that you have paid for as opposed to like interest, you know, polling or whatnot. But you get a little card, A to, you know, F rating, like you're at school. It asks you for your age demographic if you would buy the movie or if you would rent the movie and if so, on what format. And that's that's basically it. And they just sort of take it and recompile it. Now, do you get I the gave sense it an, that they're measuring... Before you reveal what you gave it, you give the yeah. sense that they're measuring, um, this is what you often hear, less the quality of the movie than how it uh, compared to your expectations. Like if it matched I think that's the exactly what they're, what they're, right. cause but for so many people, sold- that's, that is the same thing. The expectations, you want something out of a movie. Many people go to be entertained. So in this case, people were going to the witch but expecting even, to be entertained like or to be frightened. You are. It's like it's really about the marketing. It's about how much yes. does the movie match up to what the movie that you were sold. And I think that inherently, it sort of gets away from what good marketing should accomplish, which is to uh, make people interested and in going to see things that. Well, it's that it's not necessarily them. marketing. It may also be reading reviews or going on Rotten Tomatoes and seeing people call The Witch one of the scariest movies or one of the best horror films of many years if you read that and you're unsuspecting you're not someone that's well versed and you're just kind of floating by rotten tomatoes to see what's come out you would get the impression that okay the witch is a horror movie and your definition of horror means something scary uh and something like the last five or ten years of mainstream studio horror movies paranormal activity uh slasher films that sort of thing that's what people would connect to horror movies, and they're not necessarily wrong. I think the C minus cinema score th- is 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 sad, but it's not surprising uh, because the witch acts like a horror movie, um, but isn't out to well, it's it, it is out to scare you. It's out to spook you. It's out to uh, you know keep you in your head and make you paranoid. And it's supposed to have a visceral reaction. It's more like Lars von Trier than it is. Uh, Paranormal Activity 3 or something like that. Right. But you can understand why someone would walk out being like, this is not what I wanted or what I expected. Yeah, and but it's not Do you think it's the same people that walked market. out of Crimson Peak or like last year? Like last year? Yeah, I saw being people like, this isn't a horror movie. This is something else. It's a and gothic it's, romance. Yeah. Uh, Dave, <laughs> what, what did you give it? I gave it a B. I wanted to give it an A, but honestly, going into it, or like the second that movie ends, and I don't want to ruin it for anybody that it does, but for me, I like had so many thoughts, and like one of the thoughts was, why did this ad campaign show me so much Black Phillip? I feel like I was misprepared for this movie, and so that's what knocked me from like an A down to a B, but otherwise, I thought I knew from talking to you at least last week what I was going for going in, but the like feeling at the end of this movie when the lights went up i was just like this is this movie's going to do horrible with the cinema score cuz it was like a like early evening show on like friday <laughs> basically like the same people that i saw deadpool get with like the week before and just nothing no chatter no talking just like people looking down at their cards 
ripping them and like walking out really quickly. It was a really interesting feeling. Because I don't now, think it's like it's not dislike. It's just people like hadn't expected that you know slow quote unquote slow burn. Sure, now, but slow burn with the from... the audacity to be a true. It's a true witch, yeah, but right? Let's <laughs> like, not, we know let's that from the beginning. Let's not pour over the, the merits of the film again. We just did that. And let's get away from cinema score and talk about sort of evaluating. The, yes. I mean, have the conversation that this medium critic was uh, was accusing people of having. And, you know, I, I don't doubt that they are. They're, what, you know, I don't doubt that they actually are seeing these arguments. I'm just fortunate that i've avoided them but it's a conversation worth having at least in this sphere uh so yeah i mean like what i I don't know i mean we were talking patches you were asking me at the top of the segment about the adjectives that i would use instead of scary yeah um and do you think that's wrong is it the wrong way to approach a horror movie no i think i think horror movies need a spectrum of adjectives that it really comes down to semantics in a way because you know, I was talking to we, – we just ran this big piece on Thrillist about the 33 best horror movies of all time. I uh, got a wonderful guy, Scott Weinberg. People probably know him to, to write this. He's well-versed in horror. And I was talking to him and a lot of other people about it before we did it because I was back and forth. Do we call it the best horror movies or do we call it the scariest horror movies? For me, I'm just like, oh, scariest just plays into horror and it's fun. Um, and this might seem trivial, but – the, talking to people in the horror world, there's such a, a gap between what they would call the best and what they would call the scariest because some people don't get scared or some things aren't that scary. So why what, – what creates that that uh, fissure in, in the horror community but also just in the horror movie spectrum? What do – I guess people always go to be scared um, but perhaps – not there might be other movies that are presenting themselves in different ways. This does seem um, like a semantic argument, but a necessary one because uh, it, those uh, those adjectives create expectations. And I'm wondering, like, what movies really scare you guys? Uh, what movies or what horror movies don't scare and still qualify as horror? Well, uh... first of all, I could not believe that. Scott Weinberg did not put the alien at uh, number one on his horror list. I, it was very confusing to me as someone who knows that that's his favorite horror movie. Well, he was. I, <laughs> well, he was back and forth because he he we have a difference of opinion here because I, as people on this podcast know, I think they know because I belabor this point, but I don't see a difference between best and favorites, uh, and many people do and. On this oh, particular he list, he does. Oh, and many people geez. do, and I think a lot of horror people do, too, talking to them about best versus scary. Uh, scariest, I, because some I people would hopes. not qualify uh, the best horror movies as the scariest ones. I had hoped that there had been like editorial pressure or something, that it had not come down to a... Uh, I'd rather that be the case than it be a best versus favorites debacle. Well, uh, there wasn't an argument. There wasn't an argument in that, because that it was all on the writer. Wow. So the writer um, chose to go the route very, that it's published. So I wouldn't pressure. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't. It was interesting because yeah, Scott loves Alien, but he doesn't. I think it's the best horror movie of all time. There's something else representative there, and maybe it's about scares. I try not to uh, debate too much about that, but uh, he thinks the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is the best horror movie of all time, and it's fucking frightening. So maybe that has something to do with it. And, oh, God, uh, that's true. Alien may not have the scares to go to number one. 
<laughs> oh, wait, I, have a, I have a good example of a horror movie that I had a lot of fun with but was never actually really scared by was Unfriended. I watched it on my laptop with my headphones on. I like rented it from somewhere and just like in, out. I was like, that's a novel concept. This is all fun. It ended before I stopped having fun with it. But I would never say that Unfriended was like the scariest anything that I'd ever seen. But apparently a lot of people share that experience because it made like a ton of money compared to its tiny, tiny budget. Well, yeah. Well, is jump scare what people are looking for? They're looking for that visceral reaction. And uh, you There's know. something safe about that. I mean, a lot of like the psychologically scary movies are the ones that like stick with you, but they're not immediately movies that you would, uh, I guess, brand as like a horror movie. Because a lot of people, when they think horror movie, there's like... There's a monster, there's body horror, there's all these like little subgenres, and all these subgenres have little rules. And if you're breaking the rules, all of a sudden you're something different because you've fallen out of the classification. It seems sort of like I. Okay, so like this Crimson Peak, The Babadook, It Follows. Is it a coincidence they're all female protagonists and like focused on like fears from that perspective? I, I think that's an entirely different conversation completely, but also a very interesting <laughs> one. Um, it's something I was just touched on when writing about The Witch. Uh, I don't want to sidetrack us. I, we, we, we should definitely revisit that, and I don't doubt that we will have the opportunity to do so soon. Yeah, I'm well, sure. it might be like a style versus gaze thing. I mean, I guess I don't... I, we, we, we could revisit it if we want to revisit it, but like my girlfriend recently watched Jessica Jones for the first time, and it, like even watching her rewatch it, it was interesting just to see how much of that series is about putting everybody in the position of like a vulnerable female with an abusive boyfriend. And it's like that takes so much time to put everybody in that headspace of these movies just not taking enough time to put you in a scare headspace. And therefore, they're like, I don't know, not ticking the body count. And so they're getting discounted. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think we've talked about this. Before, but I, I think when I think of like the scariest movies I've ever seen, um, they often don't fall within the parameters of what I think anybody would consider to be a horror movie. I think of like United 93, uh, right. you know, which, uh, is hor- I mean, obvi- obvious reasons is horrifying, but, um, unnerves me and stuck with me and continues what? to haunt me in a way that, um, you know, a traditional horror film might. I think unnerve is actually. Unnerved seems to be like a key word because I don't really get scared at movies. I wish Katie was here because she apparently gets, you know, she was talking about it on The Witch. She barely saw The Duke. I don't think she's seen It Follows. She gets very scared during movies. And I wonder, I don't think horror people, people who want like hear, oh, there's a new horror movie out. And they're going to the theater. I don't think those people really get scared. So I'm, I, and I like horror movies, but I don't get scared. So what am I looking for? I like I like The Witch because it unnerved me, and I gasped throughout it. You know, you David in the last episode you described the opening sequences of of uh, The Witch, watching a baby get mashed up and slathered on a on a woman's old woman's body. What the hell? That's crazy. Uh, yeah. That's why I like horror movies because the the reality can stretch far, and I can see something I've never seen before. I don't necessarily get scared. So the argument that the witch isn't scary is odd to me because what does scare people? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, guess it's, it's, like it's, the it's, Exorcist taps into a fear that people have about religion, oh, and man, maybe maybe the maybe the witch isn't tapping into a fear. I find the Exorcist so unscary, but oh the weird, witch, the witch is like very. 
it's very intense. I mean, I feel the same way about The Witch as I did watching Kill List, particularly like the last half hour of Kill List, where your your feel your your uh, I don't know what the right word would be, but it's just sort of everything is very alive around you, and very you're very sensitive to everything that's happening in the movie, and sort of cowering a little bit, but also. Uh, I tend to get a big grin on my face when you sort of enter that zone where you're completely uh, handing yourself over to a filmmaker who's ex- expressing sort of command. Kill List has a very scary sequence in it uh, when they're running through the tunnels. Yeah, and, and that's, that's exactly uh, what gets playing about, on yeah. an, an inherent fear, right? Claustrophobia, shadows, people c- chasing you with sharp objects. You know, that's why the slasher genre is can be really scary. You know how sharp a knife is. But, you know how fast someone can chase you. That is scary. I think relatability might be key for what I find yeah. to be scary because all like any home invasion movie, for example, I find inherently terrifying. Uh, because it's so banal that it could happen to you, particularly something like The Strangers, which is, uh, you know, the whole movie, the whole, the whole idea that a movie's predicated upon is that there's no reason why they chose these people to kill and torture. I mean, it's, it's just that that's, you know, the house that they selected. Um, and you, so then does something like The Purge work for you, even though it's like, The Purge is fucking terrifying. Wait, uh, yes, The Purge is very scary. No, I mean, I find, I find, uh, (laughs) Yeah, I, I think zombie movies tend to hit the same button for me that the Purge. It sounds like hits for you. The Purge, I think, movies are just made like ass. I mean, like the Purge Anarchy is actually, I think, scarier than the original Purge. I think mostly because it's just... preying on gun violence and being yes. out on the street and getting shot at any moment. Well, that I mean, is I think preying that's on why real I find fear. Elephants so terrifying. But the Purge is, is so poorly <laughs> made that it's really hard for me to get into. Uh, those movies are just. No way. But I do think that, uh, you know, like The Shining, I think, is a masterpiece. However, and, and like, do I get a little bit unnerved watching it at three in the morning alone uh, if I were in a house in the woods? Absolutely. Um, I've been there. Uh, but it's not scary for me in the same way that, I don't know, there's thing about those zombie movies where it's like, there's no escape. There's nothing. like Which zombie the, movie? I think of like, uh, you know, like 28 Days Later, for example. Um, that's a film where I can really put myself in that situation, just imagining the desolation of, of this sort of like post-apocalyptic London. And of course, there are all these, especially as it pivots to the third act where this human on human violence sort of takes the center stage. I find that, again, it's, it's easy enough for my, even though it has a supernatural element to it, it's explained sort of biologically in the movie, but it's in our world, as far as we know, is supernatural, knock on wood. Um, so you is, you would you would separate a good horror movie, a great horror movie, from a scary horror movie. You do see uh, the difference there. No, because I think that uh, scary is just a word. I mean, it's just a like scary. It's just like light or or uh, sound. I mean, it's just like another attribute of the movie. It's another thing from its toolbox that it can use uh, to work its story on me to give me a certain experience and sometimes when movies just exist to scare you uh they can occasionally be effective but i tend to find that the ones that really sink their teeth into me do so because they use scariness to sort of prop up uh i don't know like my skin so they can so something else something a little bit more sinister can get in uh and and use you a form of ideas these ideas that can become nightmares and haunt you and um, so scariness is, is just, it's like a lubricant for something else. Um, mm. and I think sexy. the witch, yeah. And the, the witch, sexiest horror movie. The witch has that m- mood that everything that it's doing 
um, is priming you to be exactly where it needs you to be, whether you call it scary or or not. I mean, I definitely think that it it its craft gets me to a place where you know I'm sucked into the story, engaging on its, with its ideas enough that when it does bust out a traditional scare, like there's this Caleb, the uh, son, the older son in the film, goes wandering to the woods about 40 minutes into it, um, and that sequence ends with a jump scare, and I jumped out of my skin. Uh, as much as I saw it coming, because I was so immersed in what was happening in that moment, unlike watching like The Forest, for example, where every jump scare is so telegraphed, but it's so superficial that you can really just stare at the floor for a second and uh, and wait for the sound to drop out and then pop up at you and repeat. Uh, and it's just sort of like, you know, a wave crashing on you and going away. It's It doesn't right. really... I think maybe... You, you might have hit on something there, which is that, like, because scares can be artificially manufactured, like, what people think of as good horror not only has a whole bunch of that, but also scared them. And if something just psychologically fucks with them for a little while, they're not going to necessarily call it scary because it didn't jump scare them or have, you know, constant strings or that heartbeat clicking sound or, you know, any sort of that thing. I guess, like, because you could be manipulated in that way, like, I could see bad movies with good jokes in it and still laugh, but it, if there's nothing, like, backing those up. The thing you were saying about getting under, allowing something to get under your skin, like, the priming of actually scaring me, I don't need for something to get under my skin. It's just sort of a bonus if a movie's able to do both, mm-hmm. which I think that, the witch that's did. The thing, like, it sounds like if you walk out of the witch feeling like it's not scary, then it's not just expectations that were the problem. It's that you're not susceptible to all types of movies. Um, I'm thinking, you know, you should be able to be scared in a movie that's not flying the horror flag. Uh, I'm thinking of David Fincher's movies. Actually, Scott put seven on our list of the best horror movies of all time, which I think is an interesting pick. It's definitely well, dealing in horror imagery, um, but it's not explicitly a horror movie. Uh, this is what that person on Medium is arguing store. against. Is they're saying like these these people who are not susceptible to the idea of being scared, unless it you know conscribes to a particular rubric that they've approved and understand. Um, and I completely understand their frustrations if I were to talk to one of those people. Um, I don't think that not liking the witch necessarily, you know, puts you in that category, uh, even though I think it's a great movie and I found it perfectly scary. But, uh, yeah, I do think that if I were to talk to someone who would limit their definition of what was a scary movie to just things that are sort of traditionally packaged and marketed as scary movies, that would be sort of, that would be unfortunate for them. Pinocchio was terrified. It is. It's a really scary movie. That does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room podcast. We will not have a review segment this week, but we will have a Star Wars special. Episode 8 starting, Rogue One's finished shooting. There's a whole bunch of stuff. We're going to talk about it this Friday in Space Review. Until then, let's tell the people who we are. Yes, I am Matt Patches. I'm the en- entertainment editor of Thrillist.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches, and we have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can uh, 
share the episodes, listen to the episodes. You can comment, as uh, demonstrated on last week's podcast. Anything goes on Fighting the World. It's very scary. Anything? Baby mashing? No, wait. No baby mashing. Uh, I am David Ehrlich. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. I'm a staff writer for Rolling Stone, and they predict on uh, slates. I was going to say slants. That's not right. Uh, You can read my review of The Mermaid later this week, um, probably on Thursday or Friday. And you can find all of us together on Facebook at Fighting in the War Room. Fighting in the War Room on Facebook. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell my first name DA7E. That's also my Twitter handle. I read for Latino-Review.com and Geek.com. Uh, you can also find the rest of us, the entire show, on Twitter at FITWR, where we want your answers to this question in honor of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Sword of Destiny, what foreign, foreign language film deserves a sequel. We'll be back talking to you next week as a whole group, and it'll be post-Oscars, and I'm sure we'll have a lot to complain about. But until then, see you later. I compounded. I have.